0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. Last week we heralded the return of movie theaters in our neck of the woods. So this week we'll find out which movie one of us took in.
1: I'm Jeff Braun. Disney Plus has a new docu-series starring Paul McCartney and a new sequel series to one of the most acclaimed motion pictures of all time. I'm talking about Turner and Hooch and I'll review both.
0: And I'll tell you about the conclusion to the Fear Street Trilogy on Netflix. And speaking of Netflix, they've got a sweet new action movie called Gunpowder
1: Milkshake. But we begin with our return to the movies. For more than a hundred years, there's one place where we all came together to be entertained, to escape
0: to go someplace new. The movies. There's nothing like that moment when the lights go down. The
1: projector ignites. And we believe. Well said, Vin Diesel. Well said. Yes, now that theaters are reopened right across the country and after I think nine months since the last time I had been, I got to go to a proper movie theater this week, Brett, and it was glorious. Now, I saw... F9, even though I'd seen it the week before at the drive-in theater. But uh, our friend Joel wanted to go, and he and I always go to the Fast and Furious movies together. He couldn't make it to the drive-in, so I was like, yes, Joel, I will go to the real theater and watch F9 again with you. And you know what? It was better the second time around. I liked it quite a bit more, actually.
0: Really? So was was that because it was the movie theater experience, or or maybe a little bit of both, just like now that you knew what to expect from the film?
1: Yeah, I think I knew, uh, so I knew what to expect and I had a, uh, I sound like, I feel dumb for having to say (laughs) I could follow, I could follow it easier the second time around, but I really could because there's a, all sorts of weird complications in that movie. Uh, but I, and then, and then I was, you know, linking thematic things within the movie to, together and stuff. It's like, oh, I see what they're doing there. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay, I get it. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. So I enjoyed it more the second time around. Again, I can't believe I'm saying that about a Fast and Furious movie, but uh it, it was fun. And then, of course, the theater experience is just so much better. The drive in is a cool novelty thing. But I wouldn't want to do that for all my movies. So, and, and the regular theater, it was such a blessing. Uh, the popcorn, the drink, the reclining seat oh that felt good and then just the the big screen and the big sound right in your face and right in your ears it was it was a blast
0: yeah those reclining seats that landmark cinemas have are uh pretty awesome and in terms of uh like you went midweek, i think so how many people were in that particular screening
1: it was uh i would say technically it was sold out because i think uh, the rule is 50 percent capacity and it was uh you know there's two empty seats then Me and my buddy in two seats and two empty seats and staggered like that all the way throughout. And it looked like there were people, sets of people in every second set of seats there. So I'm pretty sure technically it was a sellout as much as they could have a sellout. And that was, yeah, it was a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock.
0: Oh, that's good to hear. That means people are excited to get back to the movies indeed here in Manitoba. The rule is uh, you must be fully vaccinated to attend the movies. I know the rules are different in various parts of the country. Some parts of the country have no restrictions whatsoever, but uh, I didn't actually make it to the movies. People kept saying, God, you must be excited to get to the movies. You must be excited to get to the movies. Yeah. And, and in normal, in a normal week, yes, I would have gone to the movies, but I'm on vacation this week, actually for, and, uh, as much as I have a passion for the movies, over the summer I'm a full-blown golf lunatic. So all I've been doing this week is golfing, <laughs> and so I just was too tired to uh, go to the movies. So I hope maybe next week I'll get out to see Black Widow.
1: Yeah, and, and I was thinking too. It's like all oh, the theaters will reopen, and I'll go three times in the first week, but. I mean, just by the nature of our job here, Brett, uh, like Cruella's playing, already seen it. Black Widow's playing, already seen it. Had already seen F9. So like the, lim- the options were kind of limited. The theaters have reopened and had already seen two thirds of all the movies that were playing. So we'll get some new ones coming up in the weeks ahead, of course.
0: Yes, that's right. And this weekend, we've got two new in theaters this weekend. A new one from M. Night Shyamalan. We never leave each other. Nothing separates us. Are we there yet? You said five minutes. Technically, it's been more than five minutes. Let's just all start slowing down. So it's a movie about a family of four heading to a secluded tropical beach. Sounds like fun, but it's M. Night Shyamalan, and they quickly learn something is off about this place. Whoa. Who would leave this? What's happening? Found stuff from the hotel in the sand. So obviously it's not evident from listening to that clip Exactly what was going on They were talking about stuff being left behind in the sand Including a bunch of cell phones Just sitting there in the sand And then at the end of that clip The little boy from the family was playing in the water When a woman's body Floated up behind him And scared the daylights out of him And then things get weirder with what happens next What happened to her? The body has decomposed
1: how quickly can that happen?
0: Seven years.
1: But she just died. Wait,
0: where are the kids? Trent, Kara! Come here. Hey, have you seen my children? Mom? I'm, I'm right here. So the boy is no longer a boy anymore. He has suddenly, instantaneously, grown up. So listen to the official description because this this first part makes me laugh. <laughs> this summer, visionary filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> It's just so pretentious. Like this guy, I get that he's made some amazing movies, but he's made some real stinkers. So I feel like putting words in like visionary filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan, that's an instant eye
1: roll for me. Uh, But I think that that's actually cutting him down a peg right there because I can't remember what movie it was, but there was a movie a few years back that said from the mind of M. Night Shyamalan, which is even more pretentious, I think. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) So it says M. Night Shyamalan unveils a
0: chilling, mysterious new thriller about a family on a tropical holiday who discover that the secluded beach where they are relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. So it's a neat premise. I think it looks cool. The early reviews though haven't been all that great.
1: Oh no. We're here for a reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the the mark that I checked on Rotten Tomatoes today was around 57%. Uh, I was having problems getting in and out of that website. It was working and then not working. So I'm pretty sure hmm. it said 57%. So I don't know. I think that looks cool. But if Emily anybody- Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, Jeff. We're still we're still <laughs> not working in the same room, so we can't see each other yet. Hopefully, Jeff comes back to work soon.
1: I think the premise is great. I and the the movies, like you said, the reviews aren't all that great, but I almost think it's worth it just for that cool premise. There were some disturbing shots in that trailer, though, that might probably be enough to keep me away from paying for it. Maybe I'll watch it when it's free down the line or whatever that sort of thing. But I. Uh, as many stinkers as that guy has those early, really good movies. He's had always makes me kind of curious about, you know, watching some of his stuff again, just because he does know how to, you know, make a screwy kind of a hitchhawk hitchcockian premise when he, when he has to, I think the village isn't his best movie by any stretch, but I think that's got the best twist in it of all time. I wouldn't even give it away. If you haven't seen it yet, that's worth checking out just to see what's really up with that movie. And uh, I, I wonder if, uh, they're giving it all away in the trailer here or if there's even, like, some other twist beyond the rapid aging that comes in.
0: Yeah, it looked like there was definitely more uh, that was going on. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious about it. And he, and he did have some... some. He kind of had some bounce-back movies. He had... Uh, hang on a second here. I'm just pulling up his... Where
1: the grandkids visit the grandparents, right?
0: Yeah, I never saw that one, but... Uh, Whatever that uh, was What was, was that called? Uh, the Visit. So The Visit, that was kind of this modest little film. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, but it got it was it got good reviews and then Split came out which was pretty cool. Uh, unfortunately, the follow up to that Glass didn't. Uh, that was that was just terrible
1: to be quite frank. That was the one that combined Unbreakable with Split. Bro- right, and then of course, uh, I mean the other thing that immediately goes into my mind when I hear the name M. Night Shyamalan is The Happening, which is one of the three worst movies I've ever seen. Like that is just, I I should, I feel like I should rewatch that one just to, see if it actually really is as bad as I remember it being, or maybe if I'll enjoy it a bit more in the second time around. We both hated that movie so, so much.
0: Uh, You know what? In a moment, we'll tell you what the second movie is out this weekend, because if you, particularly if you grew up in the 80s and played with certain toys, then you're going to dig this. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Talking about what's new at the movies this weekend. We just told you about the M. Night Shyamalan movie, Old. Also new this weekend.
1: I've been following you for some time.
0: Do I know you? I know you, Snake Eyes. If G.I. Joe was ever a part of your life, those two words should be enough to at least pique your interest. Snake Eyes. G.I. Joe Origins is the name of the film. In G.I. Joe... Snake Eyes was this awesome ninja who wore a cool suit and helmet, and now they've cooked up an origin story for him. He's played by Henry Golding. He's the handsome dude from that Crazy Rich Asians movie, and he plays this tough guy loner who saves someone's life, which ends up paying massive dividends for him. You saved my life. We are going home. I don't have a home. Not yours. <laughs> i can't change your past but i can offer you a purpose for 600 years our ninja have brought peace to the world i believe in you of course it wouldn't be a gi joe movie without their big enemy cobra is coming what's cobra a shadow organization devoted to global revolution I like the cast in this. Henry Golding looks good in an action role. I don't believe he has a martial arts background, but he clearly worked hard for this. It also stars Ico Ues. He's a martial arts actor I've spoken of many times before from movies like The Raid. You also heard in that first clip a woman named Ursula Corbero. You might not know that name, but if you watched the Spanish show Money Heist, then you would definitely know her as Tokyo. It also didn't have the best reviews. Looking at Rotten Tomatoes, it was under 60%, but I I think this looks like a blast. Uh, some of the reviews that they've cherry-picked for the trailer say it's the best G.I. Joe movie yet, which isn't really saying much because the first one was terrible and I never even bothered with the second one. But I definitely want to see Snake Eyes.
1: I came to make you an offer, Tommy. Call me Storm Shadow. Shadow.
0: And if you don't like ninjas, then maybe you'd like some music, Jeff.
1: Yeah, there's a very cool new music documentary of sorts on Disney Plus, starring one of the Beatles. It's called McCartney Three Two One. What you got now? I got this
0: one. The in the sky with diamonds. I,
1: <laughs> this is why we don't go into tapes. Ah! It's beautiful. <laughs> number one in the
0: usa that was a party night that's where the audience applauds. you go wait for it wait for it <laughs> clearly yeah. these guys are going for it
1: we were warned don't go out late and the car pulls up some guys jumped out one of them had a knife and they took all our demos we were hippies we just did not listen
0: i want to read to you one thing Paul is one of the most innovative bass players that ever played bass, and the stuff that's going on now is ripped off from his Beatle period. He's a great, great musician. Did I write that? That is John Lennon. That's John? (laughs) Yeah. I hadn't heard that. That's beautiful.
1: McCartney 321 is simply a six-part documentary that's a conversation between Paul McCartney and legendary record producer Rick Rubin. It's shot in black and white and set in a darkened room in which a mixing console is spotlit in the center, and McCartney and Rubin go through old Beatles tapes and Wings tapes and talk about the music. Occasionally, they move to an anteroom where McCartney will pick up a guitar to show Rubin something where it's easier to make his point musically than to explain with words, but basically, it's just the two of them standing around the board, Rubin playing stuff, isolating specific instruments or vocals here and there and asking McCartney how'd you guys come up with that? So a very simple concept and I was mesmerized by it. I'm not a huge Beatles fan either. I mean I like them well enough. I do have a, a greatest hit CD in a box somewhere and there's probably a dozen or so songs that there's that I would say I do really love but when I put on music I, I don't ever really put on the Beatles Frankly I was more interested in Rick Rubin. He's He's been more of a presence in my life than the Fab Four. He produced the first Beastie Boys album and was instrumental in a lot of 80s rap. He also produced uh, my favorite Tom Petty album, Wildflowers, and worked with a lot of other uh, favorite rock bands of mine like Slayer, Metallica, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And he produced those wonderful late-era Johnny Cash American Recordings albums. So, Rick Rubin Rubin knows a thing or two about all kinds of music, and he's sort of the perfect host to go through the Beatles catalog with Paul McCartney. He knows what to ask about. He recognizes when something sounds like there might be a story behind it, all that sort of thing. And uh, Sir Paul can tell a good story. He's still making music and touring and, you know, that good stuff. But he's also been telling Beatles stories for the last 50 years, and he's very good at it. He's also humble but proud of what they've accomplished, and he really gets into the music. He's always bopping along and singing along through the course of this. There's a lot of energy there which propels the episodes. They're all 30 minutes long. Uh, and there's six episodes, so it's a grand total of three hours of, again, basically what is just two guys standing around a mixing console, listening to tunes and talking about them. There's also some old footage of performances and recording studio stuff thrown in from time to time, but there's not a ton of it, so I would say if you are a Beatles fan, you definitely want to check this out, and even if you're only mildly interested in the Beatles, I think there's a good chance you'll enjoy the series. I would say at least give it a shot. It's called McCartney 321, and it's out now on Disney+, and I mentioned that he's humble, but he's proud of what he did, and, and it's, it's the perfect mix because the thing you don't like is somebody that brags about something, and it would be obnoxious if he came out and just bragged about being a Beatle, but it was I find it equally obnoxious when people cannot take a compliment that they truly deserve. And uh, Paul McCartney has you know the, the wisdom from age to look back and realize that, yeah, we actually did do something special there, and I'm proud of what we did. So that comes through and, and it just makes him more of a compelling figure to watch..
0: Up next, we're moving from classic music to a reboot or a new life breathed into a classic "quote unquote" film from the 1980s. <laughs> You're listening to the Couch
1: Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And a new show just arrived on Disney Plus. It's a sequel series based on a movie from the 80s. Ration, Hooch. I did. Zach Gregory. Amos's murder is all but solved. So, go. Open your beer talking about turner and hooch of <laughs> course that It's a family-friendly buddy cop movie where the buddy cops are Tom Hanks and a big, slobbery dog. It's sort of been a punchline the past 30 years because, you know, Tom Hanks became regarded as one of the finest actors of all time, and co-starring with the dog is about the silliest thing an actor can do. Now, I've seen Turner and Hooch many times. I actually rewatched it last weekend, and it's still a damn delight, I gotta say. It's not a great movie, but it's very watchable, and that, of course, is mostly thanks to Tom Hanks being one of the most watchable actors we've ever seen. If anyone else had starred in that movie, we would have forgotten about it in a matter of weeks after it opening in uh, 87 or whenever it was. Of course, the dog uh, is a big draw as well. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun dog in that movie. And now, of course, as every studio minds its past for anything resembling a title that people may still remember and try to squeeze another nickel out of it, Disney has made a Turner and Hooch TV series. Hey, Scotty. This is Hooch.
0: There's food, at least some toys. This one's his favorite.
1: Mr. Horsey. What are you talking about? Did mom call you? Your father wanted you to have Hooch. He rescued him from the shelter. He said it was almost like the original Hooch came back. I can't take care of him. I'm working all the time, and I, I'm just still trying to prove myself
0: here, mom. Come on. You're going to love him. Come no. oh, no. on, Hooch! How did this happen? Also. Why is there a dog in the office?
1: Uh, uh, It's it's a long story, sir. This is a sequel series. The Turner in it is actually the son of the Tom Hanks character from the movie. And before we get excited, we learn in the opening minutes that there will be no cameo with Tom Hanks. Do not bet on that. Uh, Maybe, I guess they could maybe do a flashback, but uh, they very much seem to want us to be under the impression that we will not see Tom Hanks in this show, so don't tune in for that. Turner's wife is still there, uh, but not played by Mayor Wingingham like she is in the movie. This is another actress. In fact, the only actor to return from the movie is Reginald Val Johnson, which is pretty awesome because you love to see that guy turn up anywhere. And I guess, what, he always plays a cop because he is a cop in the Turner and Hooch universe. He was a cop on Die Hard. He was a cop on Family Murder, Family Murder. Oh, Family Murders. My God. Family Matters. Imagine if that show was called Family Murders, Fred. That's a show I'd watch. Just Urkel standing there with a bloody knife going, Did I do that? So anyways, Reginald Val Johnson, he's just a guy who looks like a cop, and that's all they cast him as, as in the 80s, as it turns out. So he's in this a little bit, uh, which is kind of fun. The star, though, is uh, Josh Peck. He's got quite a few credits on his IMDb page, mostly for teen stuff that I've never heard of. He's Scott Turner Jr., and like father, like son, he's a cop. He's a rookie cop with the U.S. De- U.S. Marshals Department in San Francisco. And like father, like son, he is soon saddled with a giant slobbery dog again Against his will, and hijinks ensue. There are a lot of similarities to the movie, which I guess is the point. I mean, they have the same job. The dog destroys their apartments and helps them solve cases. Turner also has a sister who, like their mother, is also a vet. She stumbles onto some old case files in their dad's closet and surmises that he must have been secretly working on some big case. So that's sort of brewing in the background as Turner and Hoot solve uh, case of the week mysteries. The rest of the cast, made up of characters from his work at the U.S. Marshal's office. And who uh, boy you can uh, bet his boss doesn't like the disruptiveness of Hooch being around. It's all very predictable, and mostly in a good way. It's a family show, so even though there is some gunplay, I don't think I actually saw anyone get shot in the two episodes that I've seen. The biggest problem, I think, is that Josh Peck simply is not Tom Hanks. Like I said, that movie has gotten the mileage it has because 80s Tom Hanks is the joys to watch. Josh Peck is, I'm sure, a capable actor, but... He just doesn't have that movie star quality that Tom Hanks does. I mean, few do, so it's sort of an unfair comparison, but how can you not compare them? On the other hand, Hooch from the movie and Hooch from the show, they're pretty much the same. If there wasn't a 30-year difference in between the two things, I would guess that they were actually the same dog, but they're not. Uh, The second episode I would also point out is called A Good Day to Dog Hard, and it pays homage heavily to Die Hard, which was very fun to watch, and it took me until right this moment to realize that Reginald Vell Johnson, like I said, is in Die Hard, and they did a little bit of a lampooning of Die Hard too, here, so it's kind of neat. I, I looked at the episode titles for the first six episodes. They're all plays on cop spy movies and books with dog uh, puns in them, so maybe that sort of thing will be ongoing in the series. The sixth episode is called The Furgitive, and if it's uh, all sorts of references to The Fugitive, I will be very glad to watch that. The first episode of Turner and Hooch, it's out now on Disney Plus, and there will be 11 more to come. They drop in each Wednesday. Like I said, it's a pretty good family watch even though it is kind of predictable and silly just like the movie
0: now i don't know if you remember this jeff but in 1989 when turner and hooch came out okay. as uh, as is the case with hollywood with copycat films uh there was another buddy cop movie that came out i believe before turner and hooch called canine yes. it's belushi jim belushi yes and uh and the dog i believe was a shepherd. So the thing with the, the gimmick with Turner and Hooch was that this dog was this disgusting drooling slobbering mess uh, to the point right yeah a french
1: massif i think that's what it
0: is yeah i mean it's a it's a lovely dog and as you pointed out it's a, the, the dog was uh was a you know it was a good dog a fun dog but i remember my yeah. mom in particular just being grossed out watching that she's like
1: ah oh, god yep. so much slobber I had a friend who told me that this week too. Like, I can't watch that movie again. That was too disgusting with the slobber. The The biggest actual problem I have with it is a nitpicky thing that the dogs, both in the movie and in this new show do so much damage wherever they go. Like, like they destroyed this guy's apartment to like the tunes of, I would say destroyed $5,000 worth of stuff in like 10 minutes. And then he gets it all fixed up. And then the next morning it wakes up and it's all messy again. It's just like, How could you possibly live like that? It was just crazy to me.
0: (laughs) Okay, so that sounds like fun on Disney+. Plus. Over on Netflix, as is often the case, not just on Netflix, but anywhere in in terms of finding content, you know, you often see stuff pop up on your radar that you've just never heard of because there's so much content out there. So this week, I see this movie in the top 10 on Netflix called Gunpowder Milkshake never heard of it so i took a peek and that peek turned into two hours of glee your talents are
1: needed somebody stole from us we need that money back it's a change of plan they kidnapped an eight-year-old girl i can't leave her to die are you now the truth give the kill
0: order So Sam is the main character in Gunpowder Milkshake, which just came out on Netflix on July 14th. Now, you would know Karen Gillan probably best as Nebula from the Avengers movies, or you might also know her as one of the avatars in the Jumanji movies with The Rock and Kevin Hart. Sam was 12 and Jack Black. Don't want to forget about Jack Black. So Sam was 12 when her mother, an elite assassin played by Lena Headey, had to abandon her. So Sam was raised by The Firm, a nasty crime syndicate. Now, 15 years later, Sam is an elite assassin too. She is the cleanup crew for The Firm. So they, i.e. they send her in to finish jobs. That they can't. But then a job goes wrong, and she decides to protect an eight year old girl. So now the firm is coming for her. So she has to go see the librarians Michelle Yao, Angela Bassett, and Carla Gugino.
1: I need to exchange some books. Come. Well, girl, you'll need a Jane Austen, a Virginia Woolf, and an Agatha Christie for reading.
0: So what happened there is she needed to exchange guns So the first two books that they handed her Were actually hollowed out books containing guns And then that third one was just in fact a book for reading But if Sam hopes to defeat the firm She's going to need some extra help Some bad men are coming to hurt us
1: We have to go where it's safe
0: Okay i teach you to always guard your back Hi mom
1: god no where have you been for the last 15 years around making sure you're safe i'm gonna do terrible things to you Earl. we're gonna
0: bring the sky down on the heads so i loved this movie 64 percent on rotten tomatoes so definitely not a mass consensus of positivity on this but i just i thought it was a blast and with the talk of librarians exchanging books this is indeed another john wick knockoff jeff uh, a fun action movie about a bizarre world of assassins with their own rules like when <laughs> they go to the diners they go to this diner that apparently is the safe house much like the continental the hotel is in john wick this diner is this kind of safe house where when you walk in the hostess the server says to you can i lighten your load i e are you packing? Are you carrying a gun? If not, if you are, I'll take it, thanks. And uh, they've got some other weird little rules and, and doctors and places they go, but who cares? This movie was colorful. It was stylish. It had this really fun kind of mysterious music for its score. Tremendous cast. You also heard the voice of Paul Giamatti in there. Just terrific action. There's also this uh, big shootout in a diner near the end of the film. That is amazing. It's a super slow-mo shot that goes for about 30 seconds in a continuous take, and everyone involved, especially Angela Bassett, looked like they were having a blast, not just in that scene, but making this movie as a whole. So I think you'll have a blast, too. It wasn't perfect, but it was fun. Four couch cushions out of five. So, like, we've got the John Wick movies, uh, Nobody with Bob uh, Odenkirk, was another obvious knockoff. We've got this gunpowder milkshake, and I think there have been other movies that are at least, if not knockoffs, at least inspired by John Wick. But I'm kind of drawing a blank. Does anything else jump to There mind? always
1: is. Like as, as soon as you know Hollywood makes something fun and successful, and uh, the clones start showing up a year or two down the road, until uh until just beating that horse to death, and then beating it a little bit more until no one is is at all interested in watching something like that. But I think with this, it's a uh, the premise is simple enough that they can sort of get away with it for quite a while. And there's, you know, it doesn't have to, it can be obvious as a, as a ripoff of a John wick kind of thing, but it can also sort of be its own because it's, there's not that much in it. You know what I mean?
0: Well, put it on your list, Jeff. I think you'll enjoy it. And I recommend anybody with Netflix who likes action movies should watch gunpowder milkshake. It was fun in a moment. I got to tell you about the conclusion of what turned out to be a a much better than expected trilogy of slasher films on Netflix. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. Last week, I told you about Fear Street 1994 and Fear Street 1978, the first two installments of a trilogy of slasher films that came out week after week after week on Netflix. And this past week, the concluding chapter in the Fear Street trilogy came out, Fear Street, 1666.
1: We can end the curse. For (gasps) Shadyside.
0: What the hell? You see it now.
1: Sarah!
0: The devil has come. To feast on our misdeeds. And his darkness grows
1: within each of us. Our fear, you know, nothing good comes from those what's after Sundown. What was that? Witches! 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 The truth will follow you
0: forever. What happens now? What happens now? What happens is you watch these movies because, wow, I loved the conclusion. So these movies, again, they're based on books by R.L. Stein. But in spite of the fact that his books are aimed at a younger audience, these movies are not for kids. These are hard R movies. They are violent but they were fun they were and they were good slasher films. The first one was was good and it was fun. The second one was better and this third one is the best of the trilogy by far. But you can't just watch one. like don't just watch the third one. You've got to watch all three of them to get the full pack of of the punch, so to speak, because the what it does in this one, it takes you back to 1666, where the curse began, because in 1994, in the town of Shadyside, we learn that bad things happen there. The whole town is is feels like it's cursed, and many believe that it actually is cursed by someone who was hung as a witch. Her name was Sarah Fear, and every so often, somebody goes on a killing rampage, and they believe that it's Sarah Fear coming back to possess people and exact her revenge over generations. Meanwhile, the neighboring town of Sunnyvale is picture perfect. Nothing bad ever happens there. All of the good fortune in this region goes to Sunnyvale, and Shadyside is under this black cloud. So in 1994, they're trying to figure out how to end the curse, but in order to do that, they need to learn what happened in 1666. And the way that they... Tie everything back together and reveal the truth of what's going on. I thought it was quite ingenious. And I think this was just like Gunpowder Milkshake was a pleasant surprise in the sense that here's this amazing action movie that I had never even heard of. Fear Street turned out to be uh, a, a pleasant surprise because I sort of expected that these would just be kind of like bubblegum slashers, but these were genuine slasher films if you're into that sort of stuff. Pretty gory at times, like brutally violent, almost shockingly violent, I would say, uh, be- just because it, the first one especially, it's like not viol- not all that violent for the most of it. And then at the end, it's ridiculously violent. But uh, they took great care with that third one to tie it all together. And it even ends up having this kind of like home alone-ish showdown in a shopping mall, uh, where like where they were setting up traps and stuff, so it was it was fun, it was scary, um, yeah, it was just a good time. So I very highly recommend it. I would say the first movie was good, again, second movie better, third movie best. Overall, I will give the trilogy four couch cushions out of five. You can't just watch one of them; you got to watch them all. And it's too bad, Jeff, because I think you would enjoy. The stories, particularly the music in that first movie, because it's a lot of '90s music, but hmm. the go- the gory and violent stuff would be just too
1: much for you. Yeah, I like everything you were saying except the part about how gory it was, because I just love this notion that there's these three movies and that they're set in different times and then they but they all tie together and they put all that work into you know building up their little self-contained universe. And how often do you get a trilogy where they keep getting better? or one two and three where the third one's the best that is extremely rare we could maybe come up with one maybe maybe lord of the rings i don't think there's any other one that most people would agree on so that's pretty special that they've done that that's all the time we've got i'm brad
0: he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother